Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us, a personal finance show on money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein, and today is episode 40. It's titled, Should You Invest in Commodities? The reason for this topic at this time is I'm starting to get questions from individuals that have seen this 50% greater drop in oil and they're wanting to know, is it time to buy oil? And it's an interesting question because, first off, one can't actually buy oil. A few episodes ago, we talked about gold. Gold, you can take physical delivery of gold. You can hold it. It's there. You can store it in your basement in a safe. You can store it in a cereal box. But... Oil is not something that you can go out and buy. You can buy gasoline, but you can't buy a barrel of oil. So when we talk about investing in commodities, be it oil, be it copper, be it other industrial metals, what we're really talking about is investing in commodities futures. And I'll talk about that there's a very big difference between investing in commodities futures and investing in in commodities. But first, let's look at this drop of oil, 50% over a six-month period. It's an excellent example of why investing is so difficult. The price drop was unexpected. It's been far more severe than anyone anticipated. And the logical question is, what's next? Have oil prices bottom, or will they continue to fall? There's a quote I've shared, I believe in the past, by Howard Marks, who is chairman of Oak Tree Capital Management. He's author of the book, The Most Important Thing, Uncommon Sense for the Thoughtful Investor. He writes, investing requires us to position a portfolio for future developments, but the future isn't knowable. This puts professional investors, professional money managers in a bit of a pickle as their average client actually believes the future is knowable, and that's why they're paying that investment advisor a hefty management fee so that the advisor can successfully discern the future and profit from it. Now, advisors, professional investors, how do they deal with these unrealistic expectations? Well, one way is to mimic what their competitors are, competitors are doing. Jeremy Grantham, chief investment strategist and co-founder of the investment firm GMO, writes, the central truth of the investment business is that investment behavior is driven by career risk. In the professional investment business, we are all agents managing other people's money. The prime directive, as Keynes knew so well, is first and last to keep your job. To do this, he explained that you must never, ever be wrong on your own. To prevent this calamity, professional investors pay ruthless attention to what other investors in general are doing. The great majority go with the flow, either completely or partially. This creates herding or momentum, which drive prices far above or far below fair price. Crowd psychology and herding have magnified this drop in oil prices. Back in episode five on investment performance, what you need to know, I talked about this concept of information cascades. Information cascades when individuals and even professional investors start, instead of basing their decisions on their own theses or investment theses and thought process, they start watching what their neighbor is doing, assuming their neighbor knows better. 
And so then everyone's sort of mimicking everything else. Everyone else, you get this herd behavior, you get this information cascade, and that's to some extent as what has occurred with the downward price in oil. When en- whenever any asset class moves 50% in less than six months, it's more than just fundamentals. There is a herd mentality. Now, that doesn't mean ultimately fundamentals can't justify oil priced at $48 a barrel. And that's what I want to talk about today is certainly describe what it means to go invest in commodity futures and what drives those returns, but also sort of walk through at least what I'm looking at to decide, all right, is this sell-off in oil temporary or is it part of a long-term trend? There are really two schools of thought. The first is that the drop in oil is a temporary mismatch between supply and demand. The excess supply originated from America's heartland, where over the past eight years has been a major expansion in oil production using fracking and horizontal drilling techniques. I remember first hearing about horizontal drilling techniques probably 10 to maybe 10 years ago when I was researching private energy managers, and, and they mentioned that. But even those, those managers, I don't think, fundamentally understood. And this is their business, right? They focused on doing oil exploration, private energy investing, and they didn't realize how dramatically horizontal drilling and fracking, where you shoot liquid into a well through a horizontal well and we can reach pockets of oil and natural gas that couldn't have been reached before, how fundamentally that was changing or would change the industry. And it has created a a huge energy boom. There's a difference, though, between these wells that are based on fracking and based on horizontal drilling. They're not as productive as traditional oil wells like you see in the Middle East. They don't go on for years and years before they peak. Their peak production usually ends up being within 24 months of, the, of, of hitting oil. And so it's sort of rapid increase in oil, but a fairly quick peak. So you have to continue to sink more wells, continue to invest more capital in order to, to increase this supply. Now, that's where the supply has come from. If you go outside of North America, there really hasn't been an increase in the supply of oil over the past five to 10 years. It may be a little bit, but generally the increased supply is coming from the U.S. and, and to some extent Canada, and it tends to be these higher-priced wells that are using fracking technology. Now, with oil prices dropping, it, it, it does appear, and I've talked to some of my contacts in the industry, they are pulling back production. In other words, if your cost to produce oil is above your break-even cost, you're not going to continue producing. And so you see that, 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 that there is a supply response to the drop 
in prices. And that, that's just sort of basic economics. When the price drops and, and it's above your cost, you would expect to see a reduction in supply because they're not going to continue to produce. So the theory of it being temporary price reduction in oil is, all right, we've had a mismatch between supply and demand. Demand from because the global economy has moderated a little bit, not necessarily, it isn't contracting, but the pace of growth has slowed a little bit, such as in China that yesterday or today, I think, reported their, their lowest GDP growth in probably 20 or 30 years. I think it came in about 7.3%, so still much higher than, than the U.S. and other developed countries, if you can believe the numbers, but lower than it has been. So growth is moderated. So, But even though growth is moderated, China consumed more oil and industrial metals and other commodities last year than they did the year before. So their growth and their use of commodities has continued to expand. And I talked about that back in episode 17, why China matters to your pocketbook. But the pace, the increase... The pace of growth has moderated to some extent, and so we've had this supply-demand mismatch of oil. And with, you know, one of the theories is there's this, there's this concept called a recency bias. So even when oil, let's say supply drops, demand moderates but stays there, and you have a rebound in prices, will that supply come back online right away? In other words... If if you, some of these producers might feel a little gun shy, gun shy to to start up the well again, and sink more money given the losses they've taken on the existing well, and and so we potentially could see an overshoot where the supply drops off too much, demand is there, perhaps even demand accelerates if the global economy continues to expand, and then you see prices back at eighty to $100 a barrel. That's one theory. That's one school of thought. And let me share the other school of thought with you, and then you can decide which you think is the more plausible scenario. There's this concept with commodities that they go through long-term cycles. And the current cycle is sometimes called a super cycle. It began in 1999. That's pretty close to when commodities bottomed, and then they started accelerating and have accelerated through 2011. They sold off in 28 and and then peaked in 2011. And then what was the impetus for that super cycle? Well, it was the voracious appetite of China a country that consumes 40% of industrial metals in the world, one country. Their accelerating growth over since 1999 was a huge driver, increase in demand for commodities. At the same time, the commodity producers, after suffering through a 20-year bear market, didn't, hadn't, didn't have the capacity to meet that demand. And so you had this long-term supply-demand mismatch. Now the commodity producers, the miners, those involved in oil extraction, 
for industrial metals, copper, copper, platinum, etc., started increasing their capacity to produce. And it takes a while to get that online. And so it's a a multi-year process. And the second school of thought is now we're in a situation where the capacity is there. It certainly has increased, but now demand has moderated. Not that the demand is shrinking, but the pace of growth has slowed. And that has led to potentially a bear market in, in commodities. If you look at some of the major commodity indexes, indices, such as the Goldman Sachs Commodity Index, the Reuters Continuous Commodities Index, they all peaked three years ago. 2011 was the peak, and they have since fallen. And, and certainly starting in mid-2014, they fell precipitously. And it wasn't just oil. Here's the thing about super cycles or cycles in general is the commodities tend to trade together. So uh, even agricultural commodities, precious metals, industrial metals, energy, during these long-term cycles, they tend to trade very similarly. And that's why they call it a super cycle because all the commodities are moving, generally moving together at once. And the average commodity bear market downtrend lasts about 20 years. Potentially, we're three, or three years in. And there's really justification for it because, again, it's long-term supply and demand. The fact that there was excess demand, insufficient supply because the ability to produce wasn't there, that those increases in prices spurred the investment, the capital investment to increase capacity to produce and mine more commodities, and now you've had a catch-up, perhaps even an overshoot. So that's the second school of thought. We are in a commodities bear market, the end of the super cycle, and that would include for gold. I, we talked about, I talked about gold a couple episodes ago. I still have not bought gold, and, and one reason is uh, I'm debating between these two schools of thought. And, and in my mind... Given where the trends are, the breakdown in oil prices and other commodities, and that continuing trend, I tend to side more on this commodities bear market, the end of a super cycle, and we're entering in to perhaps a 10 to 15 to 20 year period where commodity prices are stagnating. Now, where will that leave oil? Potentially, it's not going to bounce back to eighty to hundred dollars. It could fall much for, much further. Now, I don't know. As you know, I don't try to predict the future. I try to stay and invest on the leading edge of the present to react as things are happening. And right now, there doesn't seem to be any sign of a bottom in commodities. So, for the meantime, I'm going to stay on the sidelines and be patient and see. Which school of thought, temporary supply-demand mismatch for oil and commodities or longer-term trend, see which one starts to play out and then act accordingly. Let me pause here to share some words from this week's sponsors. What do companies like Ring, Hint, and Tagovas all have in common? 
they all use NetSuite to accelerate their growth. Successful companies know that in order to grow faster, you must have the right tools. Whether you're doing a million, 10 million, or hundreds of millions in revenue, NetSuite by Oracle gives you the tools you need to accelerate your growth. With NetSuite, you get a full picture of your business, finance, inventory, HR, customers, and more. It's everything you need to grow all in one place, right from your phone or computer. NetSuite will give you the visibility and control you need to make the right decisions and grow with confidence. That's why NetSuite customers grow faster than the S&P 500. NetSuite is the world's number one cloud business system, trusted by more than 19,000 companies. It's the last system you'll ever need. Schedule your free product tour right now and receive your free guide, Seven Key Strategies to Grow Your Profits, at netsuite.com slash david. That's netsuite.com slash david, netsuite.com slash david. Now, how do you go about actually investing in commodity futures? What is it? that drives the return. If you could buy oil at the spot price, and by spot price, that would be what its price in, in today, today, dollars or another currency, then it would be very simple. You would just go out and buy the oil or the other commodity. I mentioned you could do that with gold. Many people, when they go out and buy an ETF that invests in oil, actually are under the impression they're buying, the ETF is holding barrels of oil. That's just not the case. The ETF is actually buying commodities futures. So you, whether you buy commodities through an ETF, you're invested in commodities futures, or if you invest in commodities futures directly, you're investing in commodities futures. So what is it that drives the return of commodity futures? Really, there, there's three. The first is what is known as the yield on the collateral. So when you buy a futures contract, you only have to put up a, a certain amount of money in order to, to buy that. And it's marked to market daily, but it's highly leveraged. But when you go into an ETF or you are investing, let's say, with a commodities manager, if you're an institutional manager – they're going to want to take the entire amount of capital. So they're just not going to say, all right, just, just give us the, the amount to cover the, the margin on the futures account. They're going to want the total amount. So you'll, let's say you have $100,000 you're investing in a, with the commodities, let's say a commodities futures ETF. Probably a terrible example. Most people don't put $100,000 in commodities futures. Less than that. Let's say it's $10,000. $10,000, you put the entire $10,000 in. In order to get commodities exposures on that $10,000, it takes only a fraction of that, that amount. And so they, the manager will buy the futures contract and then will invest the rest of the money in some type of yield-oriented strategy, be it treasury bills, et cetera. So when you see a return on a commodities futures ETF, a portion of that return is just the yield, the interest income on the collateral piece, the portion that is not invested in commodities futures. 
The second driver of commodity futures return is the change in the future spot price. Again, the spot price is the price today. But when you enter into a futures contract, you're actually buying a contract that has an embedded spot price in the future. So if you enter into the March futures contract, it has priced oil at roughly, well, right now, the March future contract is pricing oil at $47 a barrel. And I, that was from a quote I took this morning. The spot price is less than that right now. The spot price is 46 and a half. The July futures contract price is $50. And let's focus on the July. So if you entered into that futures contract today, you're only going to make money in that contract if the price of oil is above $50. If it's $50 exactly, you won't make money. So again, you the, the $50 is the future or the expected spot price three or four months from now. And, and that's something people don't realize. The, it isn't just a bet on the price of oil when you, when you buy commodities futures. You're really betting on the, that the market is wrong about the expected price of oil three or four months from now. And that's an important thing to consider. Now, the third thing related to that, or the third driver of the return, is what's called the roll yield. And what the roll yield is, it's this concept of which, how are those future prices of oil or those futures contract price. In other words, if the price today is $46, the price for the contract two months from now is $48, four months from now is $50. And that's what's called an upward sloping futures curve. The technical name is Contango. And that means the market is expecting that oil prices will go up in the future. The problem with that is as a futures manager that's buying and rolling over futures contract, they might buy a new contract every month. If the spot price stays the same and I've bought a futures contract that's higher than the spot price, then one month from now, that futures price is going to converge to the spot price and it's going to drop. So... What a negative roll yield is, it means that as I keep rolling over contracts and the market expects the futures, the future spot price to be higher than it is today, but the spot price actually doesn't increase, then I'm losing money and suffering from a negative roll yield, which can be significant. One reason some of these oil ETFs throughout much of this commodity super cycle did not keep pace with the spot price is this concept of negative roll yield, a persistent upward sloping yield futures curve or future price curve. A better situation is where the futures contract is less than the spot price. And that is what's called backwardation. And that's an ideal scenario because then as you, the spot price is higher than the futures price, And so we go one month from now, even if the spot price stays the same, because the futures price was lower than the spot price, the futures price will increase. 
and it'll converge and you'll make money. So then that positive roll yield every every month you make money. That's an ideal situation. Unfortunately, that's not the situation we're in with oil currently. And so if you're going to go out and buy commodities futures or oil futures, you need to recognize there's a negative roll yield that will definitely be a drag on return. The final driver of portfolio return for commodities futures, the first again was the yield on the collateral. The second is the change in the future spot price. Will the spot price actually be higher than what's embedded in the futures contract or will it be lower? And the third is this roll yield. The fourth is what's known as a rebalance yield. And this is really for broad-based commodity ETFs, those that aren't just focused on oil but are focused on a number of commodities from energy to precious metals to industrial metals, perhaps to agriculture. And the rebalance yield is that these future managers are rebalancing back and will try to keep, perhaps they're doing equal weighted, but just the whole concept of rebalancing, as you know, you, you, you reweight to those asset types or those futures or commodities that, that have not done as well. And ideally there'll be a return to the mean or return to the average. So it's just simply the same concept you see with any rebalancing, the idea that you you move money into what is not done as well with the idea that it will return to its averages. And so that would be the fourth way. But the, but the bottom line is commodity futures are not as straightforward as buying the commodity spot price. And so it's not as simple as if oil rebounds, you'll make money. Perhaps oil will rebound, but you actually won't make money because the market already expects oil to rebound as it's priced in. And so if it doesn't rebound more than it's that's already priced in in the market, you'll lose money. And then you have the drag of this negative roll yield. And finally, the yield spread you get on collateral is going to be very, very low because interest rates are so low. Earlier in the episode, I mentioned how the drop in oil prices has been magnified or exacerbated by the herd behavior of professional investors worried about career risk. Professional money managers follow the crowd. They follow their own crowd. Individuals follow the crowd. They can also cause information cascades. In fact, I mentioned episode five. What I meant was episode 35, where I talked about information cascades. Here's a final quote from Jeremy Grantham. He says, the individual is far better positioned to wait patiently for the right pitch while paying no regard to what others are doing, which is almost impossible for professionals. I'm waiting for the right pitch when it comes to commodities. I'm taking a wait and see attitude. If you want to invest in commodities, I suggest first understand how commodities futures work because that's typically how you'll invest if you're investing through an ETF or investing directly. Second, decide which school of thought you believe is more plausible. Are we in the beginning of a prolonged bear market for commodities, the end of the super cycle, or is this a temporary setback? Whatever you do, don't just do it blindly. At least have a point of view. If you would like more education on this and other investment-related topics, 
Perhaps you want more insight into what I'm doing with my own portfolio and even align your portfolio in terms of the amount of stock exposure you have based on market conditions, current valuations, economic and central bank trends, and market internals. You can find that information at the Money for the Rest of Us Hub at moneyfortherestofushub.com. One of the things I do on that hub is I do a weekly show called Money for the Rest of Us Plus. It's just like this show, but a little more casual, laid-back setting where I comment on some of the same topics that I talk about in the episode. For example, last week, episode 39, was how current, what drives currency exchange rates. A day after I released that episode, this, the Swiss National Bank announced that they were eliminating their peg to the euro, and the Swiss franc soared 20 to 30% in the day. On last week's plus episode, I talked about that. What does that mean? What are the ramifications? How does that apply to China, which may in fact do the same thing? You can get all that and explore it. Get pricing at moneyfortherestofushub.com. If you would like show notes for this episode, you can get that at moneyfortherestofus.net. That's also where you can sign up for my insider's guide where I'll email you those show notes weekly. That's where I'm providing more information to listeners, including answering listener questions. If you have questions or suggestions for future topics, go ahead and email me, jd at jdavidstein.com. Everything I've shared with you in this episode is for general education only. I've not considered your specific risk profile. I've not provided investment advice. I've simply provided some general education on investing and in this episode on commodity futures and what's going on with the oil markets. Hope you have a great week. Thanks. Thanks. 